Now on with the, the, the real stuff of uh, preaching God's words to you. We're going to be looking today at Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. What we're going to do, we're going to, read the, we're going to read God's word together. The Bible says don't neglect the public reading of Scripture. And we can do it in different ways. One way is to, to read it together. And it's an interaction between Jesus and a ruler. Um, it's a quite a well-known story if you've been around the Bible for some time. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to narrate and I will be also, I'll also be Peter, because you always tend to find in most situations, Peter's got something extra to say on top of all the other disciples, so he does in this story too. So I'll be Peter as well. You guys over here, you can, you can read, read the words of Jesus, okay? So you're, you, you're taking responsibility for the words of Jesus. You guys over here, you are the rich young ruler, okay? Are we with that? Yeah. So who are you guys going to read from? The words of Jesus. And you guys? Okay, I'm going to narrate and also be Peter. Okay, so here we go. Um, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked to him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Obviously, yeah, it's the crowd, isn't it? Uh, I didn't think of that. Sorry, my bad. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, Peter said to him, We've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or life or brothers or sisters or parents or children to save the kingdom of God will lose Amen. The word of God. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of this extraordinary story. I pray, Lord, for real power and grace on us as we hear this and unpack it to be able to receive it in our heart in the, in the full way that you intended. I pray for wisdom. I pray, for, I pray, Lord, that, that again, as we've been hearing this morning so far, Lord, that your perfect love would drive out fear so that we can receive this message. I pray, Lord, that faith would rise. Lord, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ. Let, us, let faith rise, we pray, as we hear and hear it unpacked. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do extraordinary things in our lives through this Scripture today, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So here's how we're going to do this. It's a story, and I find that oftentimes the best way to look at a story is to just follow it through, not to turn it into something that is kind of structurally doesn't feel like a story, but just to follow it through. It's a conversation. It's a real conversation that happened between Jesus and this ruler. We know from the other Gospels you'll find this story in Matthew and Mark. And so you can piece things together and we find out, we discover that he was young and that he was a ruler and that he was rich. And I think it's in Mark's account where we find out that he ran up and he, he kind of makes a big entrance into this situation with Jesus. He makes a dramatic entrance. And let me just say this before we go any further. Most of the time when people met with Jesus, they went away happier. The vast majority of the time when people met with Jesus, they left happier than they were before because they either got healed or they got fed some bread and fish for free or a loved one was rescued from some horrible situation or they'd been in torment for years under the oppression of dark spiritual powers and then they were completely restored and healed. They left happier. This is one of those rare occasions where someone meets Jesus and at the end they go away sadder than beforehand. So it's an unusual story. Encounters with Jesus don't normally end like this. So we've got to give it special attention. We've got to work out what's going on here. Why did, it have, why did Jesus have this kind of impact on someone? I thought Jesus made people's lives better. Why did this happen? We need to ask that question. Because as we do so, we will really begin to yield some wonderful treasures about what's going on. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but I would say that the initial interaction between the man and Jesus is a little bit what you might call antsy. It's a little bit, it feels a little bit uptight. The man comes in, he says, good teacher. Sounds like a very respectful greeting. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. It's like, oh, hold on. That's a little bit. can feel, can come across a little bit unnecessary. Why is Jesus reacting like that? No one is good except God alone. And yet, actually, elsewhere in the Gospels, you'll find Jesus talking about good people. Jesus says, well, the good man out of the treasure in him speaks good words. And so you think, oh, Jesus, are you being a bit inconsistent here? Jesus, surely not. What's going on? I think what's happening here is this. Jesus sees to the heart. And he recognizes straight away what is going on in this man's life. And essentially, the thing about this man, well, one of the things is that he's self-righteous. He comes with this sense of that he's been quite a good guy. And so probably what's happening is this. Even though he's saying good teacher, there's probably something in him that's sort of going, we're, we're kind of similar. We're kind of, yeah. And so although probably Jesus probably isn't reacting to the fact that the man has called him good because Jesus knows that he himself is divine. Probably what's going on is Jesus beginning to push back and beginning to help, try and help that man understand that there is such a gulf between his understanding of goodness and true goodness that he's in for a big lesson. It's probably, it seems to me, it's an, it's an enigmatic, hard to understand interaction. Theologians can say certain things about it, but there's no explanation. To me, that seems like the most penetrating explanation. Jesus is going, hold on a minute, let's, just get, the, let's get the thing right before we have this conversation. So, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So clearly the man recognises a couple of things. One right and one wrong. The right thing he recognises is this. That 
Things aren't right between him and God. He has no assurance that he's got eternal life. We have been gathered here this morning celebrating. We've not been singing anxious songs. We've been singing celebration songs. Why? Because those of us who know the Lord Jesus have gathered here with this incredible assurance in our heart that our sins have been forgiven by the death and resurrection of Jesus and that we now know that our future is secure forever in the presence of God. Amen? So we come and we sing these celebration songs, salvation songs, redemption songs. This man knew nothing of that. Didn't know that. So who knows how long this question has been brewing in his mind and his heart. Who knows how long it's been, he's been lying in bed at night thinking, what's going on here? How, what's, something's wrong here. But although he himself, we'll see in a minute, thinks he's quite a good guy, he knows something's not right. He knows that he lacks an assurance deep in his heart. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've... Come, maybe you're here and you think, well, I'm, I'm not the worst person in the world. I've got neighbours much worse than me. Uh, there's plenty of people I could list that are worse than me. But I'm here because, you know, something's not right. I couldn't say hand on heart that if I, if I was to die today or tomorrow that I know I'm going to be with God in glory. I couldn't sing these songs with that kind of assurance. Well, maybe the Lord got you here today just to, just to meet someone in the Bible who's in a very similar situation. So, but the thing he got wrong was he says, what must I do? It's this classic kind of thing we fall into. What must I do to inherit? So there's something for me to, if I can just, if you just show me what, show me what it is, then we can, then we're good. Then we're on track. I've done it. I'm now assured of eternal life. And, and so Jesus is, is quite dismissive. Not because he's not kind and loving, but what Jesus Jesus searches the heart. And he knows how to get the conversation to the place where the person can really see what's going on. And so Jesus says, well, you know the commands. And he reels off five of the commands out of the ten. He reels off the five commands that are the most perhaps straightforward. Okay, Ten commandments. These are the five that are the most straightforward. The four he doesn't reel off are these. The, fir- the first three are directly to do with your relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with love him and put him first. Don't have any other gods before him, number one. Number two, don't make images um, and idols and worship those. Number three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. So in terms of the commands about the relationship directly with God, Jesus doesn't mention them at this point. Number four is about the Sabbath, which is kind of, it's a little bit more of a complex commandment in the sense that it's kind of to do with your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and your relationship with creation. A bit more complex. And then the final one, number 10, is don't cover, which, which means it's kind of like don't harbour in your heart desires for things to the point where you're, you lose peace and you're not trusting God. He says the, he says the ones that basically he's, basically, he's basically welcoming, opening the door for the man to walk straight into um, a dead end of his own making. So he says the blatant things, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And the guy's going, great, I'm, this is sounding good. Don't lie. And the man says, well, I've kept them all from when I was young. All right. So it's, at the moment, the conversation is going well. 
I've kept them all since I was a youth. This is a right, a kind of a morally upright guy to all appearances. He's not, he's not spending his life in kind of wanton, sinful vice and, and dark pleasure. He's, he's a well-behaved man. He's a, he's a man. And also, I will say this about the man. He's a man of, with purpose in his life. He's, he's ruler. He's got authority. He's, so he's, there's that. he's got his riches. He's, he's not at the end of his days. He's a young man. He's probably healthy. He's not thinking, oh, I'm going to die at any moment. And so something's going on in his heart where he's, something's not right. And yet everything's okay. And yet something's not right. And it's, but he, so he comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, well, these are the commands. He goes, well, I've followed them. So he's kind of going, well, I'm, I've done it. But... What next? And here comes the big moment at this point where Jesus says, well, there's one thing. There's one thing, actually, that you do lack. Sell everything you've got, distribute it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. It's like a complete game-changing moment because when Jesus says one thing it's kind of for the for this man this is the one thing Jesus says, well yeah there is something wrong there is something out of kilter there's something in your heart that is it is absolutely hindering your relationship with God absolutely it's this isn't it for you it's the riches question what's your one thing What's your one thing? You see, the way that we're designed as people is that there will be, for essentially for all of us, when you reel it right down, there'll be one thing. There'll be one thing that we want more than we want God. It could be control. That's a big one in this part of the world. Control. You want to kind of know, well, I want to know that this and this and this is going to happen, and this and this and this isn't going to happen. If I can know that, I'll trust God. That ain't trust. That's, that's control. Could be pleasure. Could be pleasure. Comfort and pleasure. I just want to know, you know, that it's not going to get too hard. <laughs> too uncomfortable. It could be a particular person. Relationship with a particular person. And, you know, not even someone you know. For some people, their, their one thing is, is that they just love someone that they've never met and they're never going to meet, but they've seen them dancing on a stage 100 metres away, and their whole, their whole thoughts and emotions are caught up with them. Others, it's someone very close. That they're, well, if, if I was to give myself to, to God, what, what would happen there? And there's this fear around this relationship. This is the one thing for this man here. It's his riches. It's riches, you see. It's a, and, and, and Jesus is saying, well, there's one thing. If you deal with this, then, then yeah, it's going to unlock everything. It's going to unlock everything for you. You see, now the question is this, well, isn't this, isn't, if he was to then do this, wouldn't this then be him kind of earning his way to God? Wouldn't this be kind of what we don't believe? The very thing we don't believe? Wouldn't this be the man kind of somehow saying, well, yeah, and I got to heaven because I got rid of all my money. Well, that's actually one, not the point that Jesus is getting to at all. What Jesus is saying is this, he's saying, currently your heart is gripped by and turned towards something created that essentially is going to lead you down to a dead end and will never, ever, ever take you to the place what you were made for and that your soul needs. Only I can do that. But your heart is so full of this thing that there is no room for me in your heart. 
This isn't about you doing something to earn your way to God. This is about you genuinely saying, well, okay, if you want me in your heart, then your heart is your center. And if you let me into your heart, then I can bring the glorious freedom that I bring freely as a gift by my life, my death, and my resurrection. You see, it's not about the man doing something. It's about the man actually saying, rather than, rather than creating a scenario where he kind of has a bit of Jesus in his life, a bit of Jesus on the side, a bit of Jesus on top, a bit of Jesus to kind of bring a bit of blessing. Jesus is like, there, no, no, it goes. That's not how it works. Jesus never comes in as a bit of anything. He's Lord. He's Lord. And actually having Jesus in your life as a bit of something always leads to this horrible, nasty tension where you feel torn between this and between that. And it's never quite what everyone said it was going to be knowing Jesus. And you go, well, and it becomes either it becomes untenable and you just go, this is, I'm doing the spiritual splits. This isn't working or, you know, or you, you just get bored. You just, I'm just, uh, you know, I don't know what's really going on. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I go to meetings and I, and I sing the songs, but it's not, it doesn't seem to be what the Bible Promises because the thing is, is the heart is too full with other things. Jesus is saying, well, if you really want to know, this is what it is. So deal radically with it. Then we can go on adventure. Then we can really do some stuff together and see some stuff together. This is how the conversation is going. That's the one thing. The old-fashioned word for it is repentance. It's not a word we use often because people often associate it with as a negative thing. Sometimes people have seen people preaching on buses or on street corners and kind of foaming at the mouth and looking really angry. And they always seem to be saying, repent. And so there can be this image in our mind of kind of it's a negative thing. It's, an, it's just an angry thing. It's just a bitter thing. Whereas actually the Bible says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Actually, God's, God's treating us with such love, tenderness and kindness leads us to the point where we go like this, where we go, how could I ever have put my trust in those things? When the whole time you and your perfect love were wooing me. How could I ever have allowed so much of my hope to be built on that. How could I ever have been so fearful about letting go of that when you've told me that underneath are your everlasting arms? How could I ever have done that? He's kindness leads us to the place where we go, this is crazy. What am I doing? How on earth can I, how on earth can I build my life on that created thing which will rust, spoil and fade? Madness. And, when we, and, and repentance is that U-turn where you say, do you know what, Jesus? I'm going all for you. I'm going all for you. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But that's how repentance works. The bottom line was this, that the thing he most loved wasn't God. Now you can ask yourself, what's so wrong about that? What's, here's what's so wrong about that. Well, there's a few things, but perhaps one thing to focus on is that God in his mercy and his kindness, having made us in his image, knows that only, only a genuine and real relationship with him can, can go any way to restoring us to a place of true humanity. And that actually as we turn away from him and onto other things that are created, that's another person or a thing or all the things I've mentioned earlier, as you turn towards that, that you kind of lose your humanity. And in the end, you become more and more like an unreasonable 
an unreasoning animal and you just kind of things you just degenerate out of who God's made you. And God wants to pull us up into the glory with which he made us for and restore that in us. And that happens through connection with him. Where we say, Lord, have my heart. And you know, the human heart is like the treasure of the universe. The, the, the whole of spiritual warfare is about who's going to get the human heart. That is what warfare and the difficulties we experience is all about. And Valter mentioned earlier about the reality of Spiritual opposition, trying to, trying to fill us with fear so we don't trust God or trying to fill us with bitterness so we don't trust God. So we no longer give him our heart, and, but that we close off and we self-protect and we create situations so that dot, 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 rather than saying, Lord, I'm going to keep putting my heart in your hands and trusting you, even though it's not necessarily going to be easy. But through it, you will restore me and us into the glory for which you made us. This is making sense. Is this a good silence I'm hearing? Okay. You have to check sometimes. And what's wrong with riches as well? While we're at it, just quickly, two minutes on what's wrong with riches. Well, you know what? Essentially, there is nothing wrong at all with money. It's a neutral thing. You can use it for good. You can use it for bad. But in one of Jesus' parables, he refers to these things he calls weeds. He says, it's a little bit like we're soil and God's word goes in. And if the soil is good, then this extraordinary harvest grows in our lives. But he says, sometimes there are these weeds that can grow inside of us and it chokes what God is doing so that the, the harvest that, that, was, that was destined doesn't come to full realisation. And he says, one of those weeds is called the deceitfulness of riches. Now, what is that? You'll find about it in Mark 4. What is the deceitfulness of riches? What it is, is this, is that one of the things you'll find about money is that it promises you certain things. And as you begin to list what it promises, at some point you get down this and you go, hold on a minute. This, I'm sure there's someone else who promises these things. Money promises you exactly what God promises you. Money promises you happiness. God promises you fullness of joy. Money promises you opportunities. The Bible says that Jesus opens doors that no one can shut. Money promises you security. Jesus promises you proper, real security. And so the deceitfulness of it is that it offers you certain things so that your eyes go away from him and look into those things for that. But then actually it turns out that very often it's a chasing of the wind and it cannot do what it promises. And so that's where riches can be a problem. They promise more than they can deliver and they become a replacement God in our lives. That can happen. And so that's just to point that out for you so that you understand. And so I so want to you know, encourage you in terms of what was being said earlier about the joy of one of the best ways to break that weed, to pull that weed up, if you like, is to, is to, is to start giving and trusting God. We found, you know, we found myself and Davina just, uh, you know, just going through life, the challenges that come. You know, there's been something about us saying, no, we're going to always prioritise investing financially in the kingdom before anything else, regardless of what comes up. And uh, whether that's a parking ticket, which if you live in the bar of Camden, is kind of like a weekly, it's like a weekly bill. Parking ticket, it's just like we just put it part, part of your bills column. Guaranteed, once a week, you know, there'll be a parking ticket. It's not as bad as that, but it's a bit like that. I've been contesting five at one time once. It's crazy. I once parked, this was in the bar of Southwark, I once parked at 3.30 a.m. with two wheels on the curb. And then I came out of the house at 4.15 a.m., to take my mother-in-law to, the, to a station 
and there was a parking ticket on my windscreen. What sort of night shift is that? 3.30. Tell me, what? They don't sleep. They don't sleep. You know the the same order than I know. 3.30 in the morning. I mean, this is just life in London, isn't it? These things, things come up, bills and stuff you don't need, the brown envelopes you don't want to open. Yeah. There's something about saying, do you know what, it's the kingdom first, whatever comes up. What it does is it doesn't always leave you with loads of money. Leaves it, well, it, putting God first. Do you know what? I would say, I would say this. We have found that it always leaves us with a sense of freedom. We're not under the mastery of money. We're under his lordship. And that's a beautiful thing. You cannot buy that. That's a powerful and a beautiful thing. Anyway, we're going to come in now to the next, the next element of the conversation. Jesus says it's really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. And there was an uproar at this point because in those days they would have thought that if you were rich, you were blessed by God. So they would have said, behold on a minute, if you're rich, you're blessed by God. Therefore, how can you say it's really hard for someone rich to be saved? And again, it comes down to this whole thing of you cannot tell if someone's blessed by God or not by whether they're rich or whether they're poor. God has a different calling and purpose for different people's lives. And God entrusts some people with lots of money that they might, the part of the calling of their life is to sow loads and loads of money into the kingdom. Others, I do actually genuinely believe that for some people, they feel stirred and led by the Holy Spirit to sort of do things like, you know, making extreme decisions where they will live in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in such a way of frugality and simplicity that no one else uh, without that kind of grace could live that way and everything in between. That God has different callings and purposes for all of his people, all of his children under the heading of generosity and not being under the love of money, but different callings for us. And so it's too caricature to say, well, if you're rich, you're blessed by God. Or if you're poor, you're blessed by God. It's nowhere near as simple as that. But Jesus, I'll tell you what, he says this though. If you've got a lot of money to trust God in that scenario, it's not an easy thing. Because it's so easy to trust in the fact that your bank balance, when you press click on your phone or on your laptop or whatever, you go, yeah, it's looking good. Your mind can easily go towards trusting in that. And so Jesus says, hey, just be careful. Just, just be careful on that. So it's an important and a powerful thing. Let's look at what Peter says. We're going to end with this. Peter says, we've we've left everything. We've left everything to follow you. This is a a profound and deep moment. Peter basically just says what everyone else is thinking. It's the beauty of Peter. Every group needs a Peter. Jesus teaches on forgiveness. Jesus, Jesus teaches... On forgiveness. Okay. Well, here's the Peter of the Bible, right? Here's what he's like. Whenever something comes up in the conversation of disciples, Peter will say the thing that makes him look awkward or inappropriate. But the reality is, he's probably just saying what everyone else is thinking. So Jesus teaches on forgiveness, and Peter says, How many times? How many times should we forgive? Because he's thinking, he's dealing with the reality of how hard it is to forgive. And he just blurts it out. And it helps Jesus give some really great teaching. Here again, Peter says, and we're going to end with this point. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. Everything. Now, this is a really delicate one to walk because... What you can do, you can end up saying things in a modern day like, do you know what? You haven't literally got to leave everything to follow Jesus, okay? which 
on one level is true. But what you can end up saying accidentally when you say that is, do you know what, it's not going to cost you anything. And that is not true. Jesus said, unless you renounce all of your possessions, you cannot be my disciple. I'll say that again. Unless you renounce all of your possessions, you cannot be my, be my disciple. Not because all of your possessions are wrong, but again, it's always about the heart. If there's something in your heart where you're saying, I can't give that up, then that's where you are, that's where you are not in freedom. It's been like the person who was thinking about becoming a Christian, and they said to, a, to another Christian who was very, very wise, they said, if I become a Christian, can I still wear jeans? That was the question they asked. The Christian replied to them, maybe, maybe not. That was a very, very wise reply. Why? Well, being a Christian has got nothing to do with wearing jeans. Of course you can. But he could see that in this person's heart, for him, wearing jeans was too huge a deal. If you refuse to follow Jesus because you can't wear jeans, your jeans mean way too much to you. See, that's the issue. Peter says we've left everything. There's something about a genuine Christian who has to be able to say, I've left everything, even if physically, actually, they've left nothing. But everything's up for grabs. It's all yours, Jesus. Everything is genuinely up for grabs. Wherever it might be, your favourite bike, your car, your house, even dear, dear relationships which you try to control and preserve and keep good and you don't let those relationships, you don't let the Lordship of Christ come in. You see, it's an area where, no, 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 no. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you. It's big stuff. Really, really big stuff. And Jesus makes this extraordinary promise, which we're going to end with. Huh? This promise has been very, very powerful for us as a family. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time, this age, and in the age to come, eternal life. Please hear that again. There is no one who has left dear, precious things, whether that's physically or in their heart, they said, Lord, I'm genuinely trusting you. I'm genuinely trusting you. There's no one who has done that who will not in this life receive many, many blessings and in the age to come. That's a massive promise. That's a huge promise. The sad thing is, is that many, I believe, never experience the promised blessing as a result of avoiding the sacrifice. So they never say, actually, you know what, Lord, it's all yours. I mean it. Even in preparing this sermon, I had a fresh, a fresh moment of renunciation in, in this sermon, just in bed, lying there just before God to say, Lord, it's all yours again. I renounce everything, everyone, to your Lordship. And you know, such lightness, such joy, such assurance. He's got it. I'm not having to... It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And you know, I, I dare not moderate or refine or adjust the words of Jesus in any way. The Bible says, don't take away and don't add. 
This is what it is. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. This is what he says today. Okay. This is why he says, reckon with it. Trust him with it. And he will be able to trust you with incredible blessing in this age and the age to come. When he blesses you, if you live with that heart, when he blesses you in this age, your heart won't cling to it in an idolatrous way. You'll bless others with it. You'll become a conduit, a vessel for God to bless others through you. That's an extraordinary privilege. And you will also be storing up for yourselves amazing rewards in the age to come. Jesus actually encourages us to store up for ourselves riches for the age to come. They say, oh no, I couldn't possibly. No, really, that sounds way too selfish. Don't try and be more spiritual than Jesus. It's a mistake. Jesus says, store up for yourselves riches in heaven. Store them up. I believe that myself and Davina are storing up some serious riches in heaven for ourselves. Shocking, isn't it? (laughs) It's just the Bible, folks. It's just the teaching of Jesus. There is a degree of self-interest that is healthy. And when we are, when we let it be spiritual, it enables us to walk in significant self-sacrifice. Without that, you struggle to really sacrifice because you're trying to hold on and you haven't got to. It's wonderful. It was Jim Elliott, the missionary who was killed, I think, in his I think, early or mid-20s, who said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What a quote. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You cannot keep your bike, your car, your house. It will rust, spoil and fade. And even if it doesn't, you'll be gone before that moment. You might preserve things really, really well. One way or another, our life in this age is, is compared in the Bible to a vapour, a mist, a breath. And it matters immensely what we do in that moment. But in the grand scheme of eternity, it doesn't add up quantity to very much at all. It's the wisest thing in the world to invest in eternity. So to Sum up. This story didn't need to end sadly. He walked off sad because Jesus said, all right, you want to get to the heart? Let's get to the heart. He wasn't ready to give up. The center of who he was to trust Jesus. And so he walked away sadly. Notice this. Jesus did not chase after him and change the terms. Oh, okay, mate, no problem. Come back. Look, we'll find a way through. It's okay. Jesus, Jesus let him go. Why? Because Jesus knows this man, he's got some processing to do. Who knows, maybe a, maybe a short while later on the day of Pentecost, he was among the 3,000 who gave their life to Jesus. I, I hope so. But what we know is, is the man, he wasn't ready to, and so Jesus let him go. Jesus will never force himself on anyone in that way. You make a decision do you, where you offer up your heart to him, and he comes and enters in as king and lives harmoniously inside of you as Lord. That's something that you offer up to him. This story does not need to end sadly. If this story makes you sad, ask yourself why. If this story personally makes you sad, my question to you is, what are you holding on to? If it's making you sad, what are you holding on to? What are you too afraid to trust God with? Locate it, repent, trust. You haven't got to walk off sad then. Can leave Jesus. You can well not leave Jesus happy. You can stay with Jesus, very very happily. If you are here and you do not know Jesus, 
what I'm not going to do is say something like, well, you know, kind of pray a little prayer, give, you know, ask Jesus to come into your life and he'll, he'll make it better. You know, it's just great to pray. It's great to ask Jesus into your heart and trust me, Jesus will make your life better. But actually, that, that coming to know Jesus is, is so much more radical than that. What I, what I would say to you is, is fall on your knees and offer him up everything and call on his name to rescue you and trust him with your past, your present and your future. And I tell you now, I promise you on his behalf, as you call on his name, he will rescue you and you'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. I also know this room is packed full of believers, wonderful disciples, people committed to Jesus, committed to his church, committed to his kingdom, people that have given and sown into the purposes of God, given and sown into the life of the church. And I want to bless you and commend you, your wonderful examples. And to be able to just stand and worship with you today was an extraordinary privilege. I want to encourage you to keep going. Keep going. Don't settle. Let the Lord keep you in that place of first love discipleship. Let the Lord keep you in that place where you're, you're still trusting him, where you're not allowing the, the things of life that frankly sometimes are very difficult, whether it's disappointment or trauma or who knows what, to close your heart. I want to urge you in the name of Jesus to keep your heart open and soft to the Lord. I, there's no way I'm going to, I'm not going to promise you an easy ride. In, in, in one of the other accounts of this story, I think it's Matthew, Jesus says, Whoever gives up these things on my account, um, you will receive much, much more in this life along with persecutions and in the life to come. Not the persecutions in, in that bit, in, in this life. So um, the last thing I'm doing is promising you an easy life. And actually, I think very often the trouble we get into spiritually is when we thought it was going to be an easy life. It isn't. But it's life to the full. It's life to the full. It's following him. And, and I want to encourage and urge and exhort you, don't fall into just coming to meetings. Don't fall into just a couple of slots throughout the week. We do that and we do that. No, 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 no. Let's keep following Jesus. Let's keep having a listening ear. Let's keep in that place of vulnerability and um, tenderness of heart towards him. Keep trusting him. Um, and his promise is that he will make you very, very fruitful. Amen. Amen. Can I just pray for you guys? Is that all right? Just, just pray for you and then I'll hand back to the, the guys who lead here. So, you know, maybe you just know that it's, it's just a, a, a helpful moment to, to in, in, in a spirit of faith and trust, not fear, but in faith and trust, just renounce, just say, Lord, all I have is yours. Everything's on loan. Everything is to be stewarded for your glory relationships, possessions, time. And Lord, as we do that now, as we just open our heart to you, I pray for fresh faith and grace and power from heaven so that this wouldn't be a sad moment. This should never be a sad moment. It should be a moment of extraordinary like, excitement and what is God going to do? What is the Lord going to do? And so we just pray for a spirit of faith to, to grip this people freshly in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that um, you would even propel them together. Lord, thank you for this week of prayer and fasting. Wow, that is no small thing. That's, all, that's, a, that's a great thing, that is, I tell you. That's, um, yep, 
the, 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 the spiritual realm knows all about that, that one coming. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you're stirring this people. Thank you for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You're always calling us upward. We're not, just, not to just stagnate. You, one degree of glory to another. And I pray for these dear brothers and sisters, Lord, one degree of glory to another. Precious Jesus, shepherd, lead them. Let them hear your voice in terms of next steps. Let them hear your voice in terms of what you're saying. And I pray for the grace to abandon themselves to you. And we know, Lord, that's almost a decision we have to make daily. It's not something we have to do every other year. There's that daily saying no to control, no to fear, no to trying to get every I dotted and every T crossed, no to anxiety. I'm going to be like, I'm going to trust him like a child. And I pray for particularly for those, Lord, who feel that they have been burnt in some way. Just they're carrying that sense of, but what happened there? But I thought God was going to dot, 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 fill in the gap. I just pray, Lord, for healing and restoration that will enable fresh trust. You bind up broken hearts, Lord. We pray that you would even be doing that in this moment. That people would find within themselves, wow, I just feel fresh energy and motivation to just to, to trust him. And I pray for that. And where the enemies tried to undermine that and destroy that and feed in a, a false story about God. I just want to break the power of that in the name of Jesus. I said that the true story of God's faithfulness and kindness and goodness be the main story in hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.